Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing our walk through the book of Luke, and we've now come to Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. This is a very familiar passage because this is the passage where Jesus calms the storm that the, sea, that the disciples are on on the Sea of Galilee. And so I entitled this message, Christ Controls Chaos. Our Savior submits the storm. Christ controls chaos. Our Savior submits the storm. Now, uh, the first part of that, Christ controls chaos, that's the application. That's the big point of the passage, and I want you to take that and put that in your pocket. And then the latter portion of the title, I always like to describe what actually happens in the, in the narrative, especially when dealing with a narrative passage. So our Savior submits the storm. Christ controls chaos. The other day I was with my daughter, my youngest daughter, and she asked, Dad, can we listen to God is in control because he really is in control. And, of course, she was referring to the old 90s Twilight Paris hit, God is in control, and she, she loves that song, and I do too. It's a good song. But as she said that, I, my mind immediately went to the message for that week, which was this message, uh, Christ controls chaos. You know, God has never sat back in heaven and said, man, I really didn't see that coming. Or, wow, that took me by surprise. God's never done that. God is sovereign. God is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-present. He's everywhere at every time. And, of course, omnipotent, all-powerful. So God, nothing has ever caught God by surprise. God is in control. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the lot is cast into the lap. Now, we know what a lot was. It was like dice in that day. But it's every decision is of the Lord. So God is in control. And one of the ways that Christ displays his control is in this passage in Luke chapter 8 where the disciples find themselves on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm. Now in order to understand this uh, narrative, we want to break it down into several sections. Number one in verse 22, the command of Christ to cross into chaos. Sometimes God leads us into chaotic situations for a purpose. Number two, the cry of his companions. Number three, the control of Christ over chaos. And finally, number four in verse 25, the concern of Christ over his companions' lack of faith. Let's begin with the first one in verse 22. The command of Christ to cross into chaos. Now, verse 22, chapter 8 says this, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And it's verses 22 and 23. So now keep in mind up until this point, in the previous chapters of Luke, Christ has been ministering in Capernaum, which is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it's in the region of Galilee itself. Now, it was there that Christ converted the cripple. It was there that Christ saved the centurion's sick servant. And so this was, Capernaum was a place where Christ did much ministry. Christ was very active in that greater region of Galilee. But now Jesus has commanded his companions to cross 
into chaos. He has said, let us go to the other side. And they have to go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, Jesus knows that there's a demoniac in Gadara, which is in the region of Decapolis, on the other side of the sea, that's waiting uh, and needs to be saved by Christ. So Christ sees what's on the other side of the storm, but the disciples have no idea. Okay, you want us to go to the other side? We're going to we're going to Decapolis. Okay, you know that they don't know what's going on. But I remind you, Christ does not call us to chart the course. That's His job. He calls us just to run the race. And so, Christ calls them into chaos, and they obeyed. The Bible says, and they launched forth. They they went. He said, go. They went. And then it says that a storm came about as Jesus was asleep. Now, by way of application before we move on, let me say something about Christ calling them into chaos. Jesus led them into the storm knowing full well that the storm was coming. And we've already mentioned one reason. Because the demoniac of Gadara, Jesus had to get to him to save him. That was all part of God's plan. But the other reason was this, that Jesus desired to bring his disciples to a place of dependency and desperation. He needed them to get to the place where their only hope, their only choice, their only decision lay upon him. God desires us to be dependent on him. Because even though we really always are, we don't always realize that. And so Christ leads them into chaos so that he may display his control, thereby building their confidence. And we know what another word for confidence is in Scripture talk, faith in him. Let me say that again. Christ calls them into chaos to display his control to strengthen their confidence in Christ himself. This is a faith-building issue, if it is nothing else. And sometimes God will allow us to go into chaotic situations, to storms, if you will, in order to strengthen our faith and in order to cause us to be more dependent upon him. God led them into this. You say the Spirit of God wouldn't lead somebody into something like that. Well, if God didn't spare his own son, why would he spare you? The book of Luke says that the Spirit of of God led Jesus into the wilderness, knowing Satan lay to tempt him. Now, Jesus' faith didn't need to be strengthened. He is perfect, but the principle is the same, that God leads us into situations to test and try us, not to tempt us. Big difference. To test, to try to prove. Well, at any rate, the disciples begin to panic in this chaos. Now, as I've said, Christ caused them to cross in the chaos. Let's let's look at this chaos in and of itself. First of all, it was sudden. The Sea of Galilee, which is really a freshwater lake, is 682 feet below sea level and surrounded by mountains. This makes it the lowest fresh body of water in the world. And today it's known as Lake Kinneret located 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, 
The Sea of Galilee it plays an important role in the area even until this day because it's fresh water, so it brings uh, fish. So, moreover, it is known for its abundance of fish. So they, they use it to eat, and it's a popular fishing spot as it was in Jesus' day. But all that being aside, much of Jesus' ministry was in and around Galilee, and his disciples, after all, were fishermen, so they were very familiar with this scene. Now, the warm climate around the sea creates lush vegetation, and it is surrounded by hills and mountains. Now, it is known for sudden and violent storms because the cool air comes down the mountain and the sea itself is so far below sea level that when it comes down the mountain, it mixes with the warm air on the sea and it creates sudden and violent windstorms. Now, in Jesus' day, they referred to this wind that was known to disrupt the Sea of Galilee as Sharkia, that's shark in English, and it was deadly. It was sudden, out of nowhere. It was unpredictable. And let me tell you something. When chaos comes in our life, it is often sudden. Not only was it sudden, it was serious. The Bible says that their boat was taking on water. It was filling up. Now, this is not a metal boat with a motor on the back that they can just kick into high gear and hurry up and get to the shore. Not at all. Not at all. This is a crude wooden fishing boat built by men who may or may not have really even known how to build a fishing boat. And it's in the middle of the sea in a storm. This is serious chaos. You know, in life, there are small problems, and then there are serious problems. I want you to understand that this chaos was not only sudden, but it was serious. And so we have the command of Christ to cross into chaos, chaos that was sudden and serious. And then, beginning in verse number 24, we see the cry of his companions. Let me read verse 24 to you. And it says this. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We are perishing. Their cry was for fear, and they were consumed with circumstance. They saw the sinking boat. They saw the stormy sea. They cried out to Christ, and they were fearful. Now, let me encourage you in something. And what you'll notice is Jesus never rebuked them for crying out to him. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the lack of faith. You'll never see Jesus rebuke anybody for praying or calling out to him. You'll never see that. And let me tell you this. The one thing they did was the best thing they did and really the only thing they could do. In the midst of chaos, they cried out to Christ. They looked upward, not outward, not inward. So many times in our life when we face problems, we look outward. We start calling friends. Nothing wrong with that to an extent, but friends can't fix problems of this nature. I don't care how good a friend you've got and how good of advice they give. The only person that controls your circumstances is Christ. So they didn't look outward. And then we have secular society says look inward. The answer lies within. You know, find your inner strength. Well, Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So they didn't look inward. They looked upward. 
They called to Christ, the one who controls chaos. And in that, they did well. Now, there's something interesting in the Greek. They called him master. Now, all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is often referred to as master, didaskolos. That means teacher, rabbi, you know, good teacher, intelligent, you know, great teacher, intelligent teacher. It speaks of his teaching ability, his master teacher, didaskolos. But that's not the word that Luke uses when they call him master in this situation. The word Luke uses is a nautical term, epistatus. It's a technical term used in nautical language referring to the captain of a ship. They weren't interested in his teaching at this point. They needed his authority. Epistatus, that's not a reference to his teaching ability, but to his control, to his authority. And what they were about to find out is he wasn't just captain of the ship, he was captain of the sea. He was superintendent of the storm. They recognized the authority, they called out to Jesus on behalf of his authority. What a beautiful thing that is. By way of illustration, somebody else faced a dark situation and was forced to look up. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David returns to Ziklag and finds it destroyed and his family missing. His own men begin to turn against him. And the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord as he took that ephod and he laid it out and began to pray to heaven. You see, David looked upward in his darkest hour. And the disciples, in their darkest hour, looked upward. And if that was good enough for David to do, and if that was good enough for the disciples to do, then I would have to say, when you and I face chaos, when we face storm, when we face our darkest days, let us look upward from whence comes our help. Well, not only the cry of Christ's companions, but notice the control of Christ over chaos. We keep reading in verse 24, and we find it says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus stood up and told the storm, Shut your mouth. Shush. He's like, that's not what he said. Well, let me help you. Luke's account doesn't say what he said. But Mark's account says that he said what? Peace be still. Peace be still. Now the word peace comes from the Greek word siapao. And it literally means hush. Silence. Be still comes from the Greek word phimao. And it means to stop one's mouth, to make speechless. So yes, Jesus stood up and told the storm, shut up. <laughs> I always love preaching on this because, you know, shut up's a bad word. You're not supposed to say that. But that's what Jesus told the storm to do. He said, you stop. You be quiet. I'm trying to sleep up here. And instantly, it ceased. The water went smooth as glass. The sun shined so brightly that it warmed the skin of the disciples. The birds sing so beautifully 
that it was sweet rest to their ears. Instantaneous peace. I read one writer that said the tense in the Greek implies that that basically as soon as the sound came out of Jesus' mouth, it was over. You see, because if it would have took some time for the storm to die down, that can be explained away by natural causes. But this was miraculous. There was no doubt this was a miracle. Because the disciples go on to say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? And what that shows us is this. Christ has complete control over chaos. To them, it was the end of the line. But to Jesus, he was just taking a nap. How can you sleep in the middle of a storm when you're in control? Not a hair of their head would have even gotten wet had not Christ deemed it so. That makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go in the fire and they don't even smell like smoke when they come out. Christ controls Chaos and what appears to be chaos from the human perspective is actually just the divine will of God playing out from the perspective of Christ because he's sovereign. Not only the control of Christ over the chaos, but now we come to a part of our story, the end of our story, that is very applicable to you and I, that gives us something to take home and ask ourselves. We come to verse 25 and we find the concern of Christ over his companions' lack of faith. Verse 25 says this, But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Where is your faith? faith. Notice he didn't ask if everyone was okay. He didn't say is anybody hurt? Not at all. Why? He was in control. He knew they weren't hurt because he had deemed them not to get hurt. God's sovereign. But he asked them rather where is your faith? Keep in mind that Christ is always more concerned with the spiritual than the physical. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know you have physical needs. It doesn't mean that God won't meet your physical needs. But your spiritual needs are far more important than your physical needs in the scope of eternity. God is far more concerned with your holiness than your health. God is far more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. And so he doesn't ask them, is anybody hurt? Is everybody okay? Do I need to call 911 if they had 911? He says, where is your faith? As if to say, did y'all not see me convert the cripple in Capernaum in chapter 5? Did you not see me love the leper? Back in chapter 5. Do you not remember when I saved and strengthened the man's hand in the synagogue in chapter 6? What about the widow's dead son I raised in name? And what about the centurion's sick servant that I saved? How in the world do you not have any faith after all that you've seen me do? The disciples developed a case of spiritual amnesia. At the first sign of trouble, they instantly forgotten about all the things Christ had already done. 
all the power he had already displayed, all the miracles he had already worked. And you and I are no different. When we face trouble, the first thing we will do is forget how far God's already brought us. Where is your faith? In the book of Hebrews, we find the famous hall of faith. We read statements like this. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We find by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. We find also this statement. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. And then finally, in that roll call, we find without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. What I'm trying to say is that God allows us to enter chaos at times so that Christ may demonstrate his control and urge us to dependency and faith towards him. So when you face chaos, will you respond in fear or faith? Will you panic or pray? Will you give up hope or cling to the hope of your soul? Fear or faith? Now, fear and faith cannot long exist in the same space because one's got to give to the other. You can't be fearful and faithful at the same time. Okay, That doesn't mean that when you're walking by faith and you're trusting God that fear won't creep in and creep out because it absolutely will. You're human. But, but you, have to, you have to respond in fear or faith because one is going to dominate you over the other. When you have both of them boiling in your heart, one of them's got to submit to the other. The disciples responded in fear. I'm challenging you when you face a chaotic, chaotic situation to respond in faith. Faith says I can't, but God already has. Faith says that's a big, excuse me, fear says that's a big storm. Faith says I've got a big God. Fear or faith? How will you respond in chaos? So, we have the epistata in Christ, the, the captain of the ship and seas. Christ controls Chaos. Our Savior submits the soul. We saw the command of Christ to cross in the chaos, the cry of his companions, the control of Christ over chaos, and finally the concern of Christ over his companions' lack of faith. Now, Christ is in control during chaos. Understand that. Believe that. Nothing has ever caught him off guard. He's God incarnate, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. So how will you respond in chaotic crisis, by faith or by fear. It's my prayer that you respond in faith and realizing that sometimes Christ does lead us into chaotic situations, at least seemingly chaotic situations, in order to urge us to him, in order to push us to him, to strengthen our faith. We read about that all throughout the Scripture. Scripture tells that the trials, the fire of trials, it, it, it purges our faith, makes it stronger, proves it. And that's at least in part of what's at play 
in Matthew 8 here, 22 through 25. Keep studying the book of Luke. Thank you for joining us.